BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, patients told police their doctor sexually assaulted them, but the hospital's lawyers fought back against survivors and the DA. We'll review the Wondery podcast, Exposed, cover-up at Columbia University. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hey, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. So, Toby, I did get confirmation that Gilbert King was present for the entire taping of your last uh, deep dive. That's what another person told me. Yes, that's what Elon Green told me. He was undercover. I didn't see his uh, his little thing pop up. I don't know. Well, we'll have to maybe get double confirmation, but that's what I've that's heard. Fine. That's what I've heard. It, it's like how you can be like hidden on the dating apps, Toby. You can go in and you can watch <laughs> and you can observe from afar. Got it. Yeah. I got, I got no. an email right before it says, Gilbert has registered for this event. Yes. I'm like, well, oh. I wonder who that could possibly be. Yep. Well, it shows my, my powers of observation are yeah. <laughs> maybe a little lacking. It was Gilbert, um, you didn't do that. It was Gilbert Gottfried, Kevin. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he, uh, yeah, he, he put out a nice little tweet about it uh, now that it's out. So that was nice. Yeah. yeah. It was a great book. I am so glad to hear that. I have yet to read it. I am very busy uh, listening to my book club book. So I, as soon as I finish that, I plan on checking that book out. Um, so, Kevin, this is obviously Monday's podcast. It is. What is coming up on Thursday's show? Well, on Thursday, you're going to hear our review of Only Murders in the Building, Season 3. All Just right. a reminder that tomorrow, we'll talk about this in the business section, but that tomorrow we've got our live Crowdcast broadcast where you're going to hear us go over the season finale because the season finale uh, uh, drops tomorrow on Hulu. So we're going to get it out and hopefully maybe the podcast will come out before Thursday. So while it's still hot. All right. 
So we're not going to be talking about the Jason and Travis Kelsey podcast. We're going to be talking nope. about only murders in the building. Fuck no. Thank you. <laughs> not the least bit interested. Thank I'll you. tell you this. Um, as of the today, this taping was the day that the new episode dropped uh-huh. in which they discussed Taylor Swift showing up at that Chiefs game. And I woke up this morning, that episode dropped. I flew out of bed, put my AirPods in immediately (laughs) to listen to that episode because I wanted to hear all the stuff. And I'm thrilled to see that their podcast is now the number one podcast in America. It's very exciting. Anyway, I listened to it for the first time today, although I had seen snippets of it before on, you know, Twitter and stuff Mm because they do it on YouTube Mm -hmm. primarily and they put Mm -hmm. it out as audio. And uh, it's fine. I mean, it's just a sports podcast. They talk about each, they each talk about their own respective games. And then they chat and then they answer questions from fans. And um, what was funny about the episode that came out today was that they, in a very wonderful way, spent 25 minutes talking about Jason's Eagles game (laughs) before they addressed any of the content that all of America wanted to hear about. Hey, good for them. Yeah, I really appreciated their patience with us. I'm sure all the listeners did, too. <laughs> all of the new listeners that, yeah. that you did. Get to the Tay-Tay. <laughs> anyway, Jason is the funny one, though. I will say he is the funny one and he's got the better eyebrows. Um, so anyway, uh, New Heights by uh, Jason and Travis Kelsey. We will not be reviewing it on this show, but I will continue to listen to that podcast um, just to see what I can glean about both their respective teams, Patrick Mahomes, of course, who I love, and whatever the hell is going on with Travis and Taylor Swift. All right, so Kevin, uh, we should probably talk about what we're talking about. Dying to do that. On this podcast. So um, should we get to it? Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and drop that first clip right now. It's a serious one. Leading off. I had this cool sensation on my area, and I was like, that didn't feel like an examination. Here I am, 38 years old. I know what it feels like. After a patient reported that Dr. Robert had assaulted her in the exam room, many women came forward with similar accusations. But aggressive tactics by lawyers for the OBGYN stymied the prosecution, ultimately resulting in a slap on the wrist. And she goes, the thing is, he's not going to have any jail time, but he is going to lose his medical license around the world. And that's what you wanted to happen, am I right? Survivors learned behind the hardball maneuvers was Haddon's employer. For years, Columbia University ignored the complaints against the doctor, choosing to protect its brand instead of its patients. Finding that letter was a moment of pure relief. But it was also a gut punch knowing what Diane knew now, that Haddon had continued to abuse women for 20 more years that she had told them so clearly, and no one had listened. In the Wondery podcast, Exposed, cover-up at Columbia University, Dr. Death host Laura Beale talks to survivors, advocates, and prosecutors about the decades-long effort to hold a serial sexual predator accountable. The series also explores how elite institutions wield their influence to avoid responsibility. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Exposed, cover-up at Columbia University. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. So, Laura, we just listened to the retrievals uh, from the team at Serial. This does follow similar themes, does it not? Yeah, actually, when I was first listening to this, I was thinking, wait, didn't we just listen to this? Uh, Because it felt so eerily similar to me in terms of, 
you know, we have women going into an Ivy League medical institution with a doctor that they believe is well-regarded, and then something going awry in the retrievals. It was the extreme pain that these women were going through as they were having their eggs collected for IVF. In this case, it's, I'm just going to put it out there because I did in the podcast, their vaginas are getting licked. Um, And other things. And other things. And it's, again, in a setting where you think something like this shouldn't and wouldn't be happening. And because of that, with some of these women, there's a reluctance to report it. But there's also that same sort of, we're going to circle the wagons mentality where, you know, the people at Columbia that know what's happening are basically going to keep this in-house not acknowledge it and not do anything about it. And it felt very, very parallel to the type of response that we heard with Yale at the Yale Fertility Clinic in the retrievals. And it's that same, like, we are a bunch of, and I don't want this to sound the wrong way, but we're a bunch of old white guys in an old white guy institution. And we are not going to let anything affect us. And so we are just going to sort of dismiss this and move along. And uh, it was like just eerily similar, the response, even though one was a fertility clinic and one was an OBGYN and equally maddening in both. Yeah. So Kevin, we need to talk about the opening scene of this podcast because we have a woman describing her assault and it's pretty graphic, but she did quote all of the right things. And you don't want to say there's a wrong thing in this instance, but in terms of what you can do, after the assault, she did those things, right? Yeah. Uh, which to me, it was surprising to me because I'm not 100% sure I would react the way she would react. I probably would be too stunned, too surprised, maybe doubting myself. What did you think about the whole opening of this podcast? Well, I did think the opening scene was pretty powerful, and you're right, disturbing and gross all at the same time. If you can imagine, like your knees are up, it formed a bridge, like a wall. And all of a sudden, his head dipped down and he licked my vagina. And I jumped up, and his face turned beet red. It is kind of tough to think that really the only reason this whole case started to unravel was that in this particular assault, the patient instantly knew what was wrong and reported it to her partner, who instantly and reflexively called the police, and the police responded. That means that, as you say, in many other cases, and we hear this, you know, other patients were like, I wasn't sure. I'm like, well, what is this? Is this, this must be, you know, my first time having a baby. And so maybe this is actually part of the procedure. And, and, and then for many of those who understood immediately, they also were like shocked or embarrassed or um, frozen. frozen. Yeah. Like after they left and they didn't, they didn't think to report it. I mean, we also hear from women throughout this that like, I knew what happened to me and I, I buried it for years and years and years. So it's even great. Like the cops, Instantly, like they, they talked about it amongst themselves. The patrolmen are like, let's go get this motherfucker. The woman, her partner, the cops, they all realize exactly the extent of what's going on. They want to react, but that doesn't always translate into justice down the road. Yeah. Chubby, when I was listening to the first episode of this podcast, I just kept thinking, OK, so we're nine minutes in. 
this whole thing's wrapping up, right? Because <laughs> it all just sort of like was cascading quickly. But also the podcast. So it's another nine minute episode of the. Uh, of yes, <laughs> of, of this season yeah. of this podcast. Yes. Uh, but I also felt like the story was cascading very quickly and it was being told very quickly. And I saw that you had a note along the same lines. Yeah. Well, I guess there's a couple of things. One is it felt to me like at the beginning and I don't know if I just got used to it or they stop doing it but it felt like everything was kind of edited a little bit close like when they were doing the the edits of the narrator's voice like they weren't given enough space to breathe so everything sounded super rushed to me at least but yeah i mean it's again this is like one of the themes of our you know nine years of doing this is that whenever there's somebody who's involved in an institution and we went through this with the boy scouts i think last week you know, the institution closes ranks and, and tries to protect itself. So like when that started and then you see that this is like the first quarter of the first episode of a season, it's like, okay, well, there's obviously going to be some institutional pushback. This is not going to be a straightforward case for them just to kind of make the case and the guy goes to jail and, and everything's good. So yeah, I, I guess I had sort of assumed <laughs> That was what was going to happen. And that is what happens, although in ways that I guess are kind of predictable. But, you you know, it's always disappointing when a place like Columbia, which you sort of would hope as an academic institution, would be upholding like certain values because, you know, you're sending your kids there and it's a major institution in our country that they wouldn't be resorting to what appears to be sort of the lowest least attractive ways of dealing with this kind of uh, sexual assault. And that ends up being the case later. So, Laura, I took note at the beginning that this was co-reported with ProPublica. And I noted that you did a little bit of uh, side looky-looing at the ProPublica side of this investigation. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I did. Um, I always like to see if there's like a companion media to podcasts. A lot of podcasts have something usually on the website affiliated with the podcast that has like maps or pictures of people. Because I'm like, I like to see the pictures of the people involved. And in this case, there's this ProPublica report. And it was very effective the way they had pictures of a sampling, a pretty good sampling. I'm going to say about 10 of the women that were victims in this case with just like two sentences about how it affected them. But they had them all lined up. So you'd be reading the article and then you'd get to the section where there's like six pictures lined up of women and you can't actually advance the article to read more until you scroll through all of the women and read each of their um, accounts. And that to me was a really good use of visual media to complement the podcast and to complement the reporting that was done in the podcast. And, you know, I think one of the things that I took from that, obviously I had the conclusion we haven't, I've only listened to episode four. I don't think it's going to be a spoiler to talk about what happened because it's out there in the media with the case, you know, coming back to be retried in 2020 and, you know, more information about how they basically, you know, failed to hand over evidence. So I don't know, in a way it's like a reverse Brady violation, but they, they didn't hand over evidence. They, they had subpoenas um, that had been served compelling them to turn over this evidence. They didn't. 
Um, they did not tell the district attorney when more patients came forward with allegations, which if you're a prosecutor, more victims coming forward. It's just, I would think, strengthening your case. But Columbia was, like you said, circling the ranks. And, you know, there's this information in there in this reporting about how the DA found this so egregious that they did an investigation into the university and the medical center. And I think what's unfortunate there is they are thinking like we are protecting ourselves by not turning this information over. But actually, that had the opposite effect of what you would think would be a fair resolution in this case by them doing that, if that makes sense. So I highly recommend going to that ProPublica site because there's a lot of information there in a way that is visual. And if you're a visual learner, easier to like digest in a way. So Kevin is talking about what Laura is talking about. I mean, we'll go back and talk about what happened before this in a second, Mm -hmm. but there is a sort of a, for lack of a better word, a hoarder involved in sort of unlocking this whole thing. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, this, yeah. This woman out who in Provo, Utah. Who thought a hoarder Utah. would solve a case? Yeah, this woman out in Provo, Utah, who has this letter that she wrote to Columbia in the 90s exposing this guy, and Columbia wrote her back. Yeah, this is this is really fascinating because, I don't know, I like the things that I wrote, but I, I don't find it so precious that I need to keep everything. And if you got a couple of boxes, I kept like envisioning, like trying to find one letter in all those Mor-a-Lago bathroom boxes. The was it the lawyer who the asked, lawyer, yeah. who asked like, did you like get a uh, an eighteen wheeler to move all this yes. stuff from from Manhattan? It's amazing though. I mean, but that is a very important piece of evidence because obviously it shows that somebody was made aware of it. Now, I think you got to fault Columbia for at least two times because they failed to act beyond this letter in the 90s. And then you have all this other stuff when it comes to light again. Which means there are probably other times. Yeah. You know, it's like a serial killer doesn't stop killing for 20 years, right? right? And if you're a serial sexual predator and all day long you're there with women in intimate situations, then, you know, it. I mean, and they do believe there were hundreds of victims, even though like maybe not that many came forward and that not that many were represented at trial. But... I do have one question, though, about the nurse from yeah. the very first yes. incident that we heard. That the, the And the one with a letter describes the same kind of situation with the nurse being in the room. Being in the room, but turning away. Yep. And, and not looking. So either you read that as like, well, the doctor was really bold and just taking advantage of like, oh, she's looking the other way. Now I'm going to do this. Or it's that this nurse or the staff in general New shit like this was happening. No, he's a creep, yeah. They, and they didn't want to be witnesses to it. Like, very specifically, like, they wanted to see no evil so they could speak no evil. Yeah. And I find that very sad because you, this is, because also, I mean, if this has been going on for years and years and years and years, there's got to be a time when a staff member walked in or got a sense. It was impossible this was a surprise to his colleagues. No, I, it was impossible. And I'll tell you, this it speaks to the power dynamic at play here, it right? It was impossible, you think, or I was think not? I think it's impossible that nurses and other staffers didn't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, okay. speaks, yeah. it speaks to the power dynamic. I, I would be shocked to learn that staffers or nurses hadn't um, complained and reported him and that nothing happened. Yeah. Nothing happened. Yeah. Well, this is called cover up at Columbia University. We've only heard the first four episodes. So as Lars says, I, I assume that we are going to hear more about the cover up angle in the final two episodes. Yeah. I, I bet we are too. Yeah. I want to echo what you're saying, Rebecca. There's definitely a hierarchy here in the hospital. 
And unfortunately, you know, you've got nurses and, and we hear incidents like where the nurse is like staring at the woman, like, don't come back, like, go away. Like, we know what's happening. But I can see it being like, even if I do report it, who's going to take me seriously? I'm a nurse and he's a doctor. Right. And I really feel like that was a big part of this story. Yeah. Well, sometimes there are, there are graders among equals. Like I feel like the four of us, like we're all equal, but I'm forcing you to stop and listen to me talk about the business section right oh, now. Oh, that was smooth, Kevin. Yeah. That's power. That's a power dynamic right there. That Really? It is. Yeah. And Toby just folded his arms. I'm turning back. my He's back. It's like, <laughs> like I'm working on the body language right now. <laughs> yes, my God. Toby's like, I don't have to, I don't have to watch this. Yeah, I'm looking at Laura like, go away, don't come back. <laughs> First off, I want to thank everybody tomorrow. I should say, actually, I should say Wednesday of this week is my walk for uh, Walk a Mile in Their Shoes. This is the fundraiser where I put on a pair of high heel shoes. And I uh, walk a mile down uh, Main Street in Concord to raise money for the Crisis Center of Central New Hampshire. Thank you so much to all of the um, the listeners who have been donating and getting me closer and closer to my goal. Uh, last year, I was the number one fundraiser. And so far this year, I have the most donors of anybody in this event um, as far as dollar value. Yes. You're not going to be number one. No, because our good friend, uh, philanthropist, uh, decided that he was... <laughs> It's great. You know, somebody with rich friends gets in, uh, but like when they're making like $6,000 donations and stuff like that, it's like, well, I'm not catching up. No, but but you have many, many donations. Many, many donations. Which I think is, I actually think that's better. I think it's better. Strength in numbers. Strength in numbers. Yes. Okay, Bernie Um, Sanders. Hey, hey now. So if you've got uh, five bucks or more to throw around and you don't want to, you know, give it to my fundraiser, you can give it to us at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get the crime writers on after show this week. We're giving our autumn recommendations. Oh, does that sound better than fall recommendations? Yes. Yeah, I think so. It sounds fancier, right? It sounds, it sounds more, um, seasonal. It's our cozy hygge season yes. recommendations. Yeah. Okay. So we're each going to give uh, two recommendations to everybody. Either something on TV, movies, books, podcasts, something that we're probably not covering on the show. But uh, things we want people to try to enjoy. Mm, great. Becca loves those kinds of episodes. We also have, oh, I almost forgot this. Tomorrow, being Tuesday, we are, as I said, we're going to be doing our live crowdcast of Only Murders in the Building. The four of us are going to be here. We're going to have live people coming in and watching us record our reviews. It's going to be good. We're going to have a little extra, you know, some visuals and some other things going on. It's going to be a whole production. And then we'll have a quick turnaround on that podcast because... Everybody wants to talk about which of the Pickwick triplets did it. <laughs> Pickwick triplets. Which of the Pickwick triplets? It's quite the earworm. It is. It is. <laughs> I can't say the words, but that's. What was the last year's, uh, last season's uh, earworm? Was it uh, Angel and Flip Flops? I don't know. All what was I know, the Brazos? All I know is that it's like a baby committed a murder in this fake musical. A baby is a suspect. But which baby? <laughs> Other things to get Toby Ball's uh, Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Toby just did a review of. Beneath the Ruthless Sun, and I was going to ask all about what it's like to have Gilbert King eavesdrop, but I guess we already covered that, Rebecca. Yes, we did. Looking at my notes. You'll also, you can get Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker, and you can get Married with Podcasts, in which Rebecca and I give out advice, including one listener wants to know, when is it time to get a divorce? Yeah. And the answer is, when you, you probably ask that already question. know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, Kevin, is that it for the business section? Yeah, thus ends the business section. All right, I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now. 
Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. All right, so Toby, we have to talk about this twist that happens in episode three, which I think maybe people who followed this story closely might have known, but I did not. And that's when we find out that one of the women that we've heard about in this story, Evelyn, is actually Evelyn Yang, wife of presidential candidate Andrew Yang. I really enjoyed the way this twist was unveiled. What did you think about that twist in the particular story and the way that it's revealed to us? And then Evelyn's, you know, the way she sort of handles it and her choice to sort of go to the media. Yeah, well, I mean, A, it's kind of a crazy twist that one of the victims ends up being the wife of a presidential candidate. For me, what I thought was really interesting was how she was reluctant until she went sort of on the road to do campaigning for her husband and seems to have, in the course of that, really kind of like taken upon sort of like this public servant approach and that what she was doing was not so much for herself, but for other people, like the people who she'd met while she was out, you know, mixing with people for her husband. It's like, you know, you may not always have a platform. And if you have this important story to share, then it's important that you do it while you can. I thought that was really interesting for somebody who I, I, I think she talked about how she was sort of a private person Very. To, to begin with and, and then had to kind of adjust I think, I think, Toby, it's important for listeners who might not know, because we are very hooked into the presidential race here yeah. in New Hampshire. We see it all. Andrew Yang, although he didn't make it far into the primary season, was a phenomenon for a period of time. Uh, like when I did videos gang, gang. for New Hampshire Public Radio, his was the only YouTube video we made that got like tens or hundreds of thousands of views. Right. He was like he was a phenomenon for a period of time. And so being like anonymous as his wife became impossible at, at a certain right. point. Yeah, he yeah. had like a sort of, for a presidential candidate, a small but extremely devoted and excited following. Of bros, um, mostly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My son, Will, was quite enthused about Andrew <laughs> Yang and had a t-shirt and some bumper stickers. Part of the Yang gang, yes. And I think it's it's only surprising in the sense that there is a name that we would recognize. It's not surprising that somebody of, of affluence would be a victim because it was women of all sorts of, you of know, everybody. Of every kind. He yeah. didn't have a type. As, as, a type yeah. as Evelyn Yang points out, I mean, Toby, didn't you get the sense that this guy probably assaulted and molested like every woman who came into his office? I mean, it just seemed very systemic. Yeah. They 
point out that there doesn't seem to be a pattern or, or a type or, or anything like that. Of the people who came forward, there's no common features like in terms of looks, race, socioeconomic status, anything like that. Stage so, of pregnancy. Yeah. He doesn't give a shit. Right. Exactly. So in the delivery uh, room. Yeah. Whether it's everybody. I mean, I don't know, but I think you could say that everybody was a potential victim and that Mm-hmm. If he's not getting everybody, it's, it's sort of arbitrary who he, who he is and who he isn't because there don't seem to be any like sort of internal criteria for him. You know who does have a type though, Toby? Isabel Kirchner. Would you like to talk Ugh. about like her client portfolio a little bit? So when I was saying before how, you know, you'd hope that an institution of higher learning like Columbia wouldn't sink to the bottom Part of sticking to the bottom is is hiring Isabel Kirchner, I think, who, you know, in, in the podcast is sort of identified as, you know, making her living defending wealthy men who behave badly, particularly towards women. So uh, she represented Harvey Weinstein. She represented Matt Gates, And apparently that's who Columbia University wants to be associated with as another client of hers. There was a very good reason Cantwell called her. Kirshner was a powerful name among New York City defense attorneys, especially for men like Robert Haddon. I've developed this niche practice of men behaving badly. So then Isabel Kirchner, like in the actual trial or in the sort of what she's sort of threatening to do, in addition to doing all these sort of lawyer tricks of making it very difficult for the prosecution to go after her client is also sort of signaling that she's going to drag the women who are making the accusations through the mud. It's sort of these combination of things that the uh, district attorney's office decides in the end to accept a deal uh, in which he gets off fairly lightly, at least in the view of the victims. Everybody else is trying to spin it as pretty good, but the people who matter in this case feel betrayed. So I'll just say, and I know Laura has another along these lines too, Isabel Kirchner is a good fucking lawyer and that's why guilty people oh, yeah. hire her, okay? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that getting her perspective in the podcast was great. I think she was a great get for this podcast. What was concerning to me was the cavalier way in which she talked about talking to Cy Vance about this case. We spoke with Vance. He said he recused himself from any meetings about Robert Haddon's case at the office and that his friendship with Kirshner did not influence the outcome. Kirshner insisted the same, but did admit to some venting. It wasn't like I expected him to do anything about it. It was just like, she's a lying bitch and I'm going to kill her. But she also talked about, did she preside over Cy Vance's wedding or did Cy Vance preside over her wedding? He presided over her wedding. Right. She she talked, she she ran, ran or worked on his campaign um, it was more than just one campaign donation. I mean, she 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 talked about their very close relationship. She talked about the fact that she talked to him about this case. And she knows very, very well how this office works, that they take that they make a decision on cases based on whether or not they think they can win or lose them. And if she is feeding him directly information, in, in casual overdrinks conversations where she's like, hey, Cy, how are you? How are your kids? I fucking hate your prosecutor. What a bitch she is. And by the way, you're definitely going to lose this case because she's making mistake after mistake. If she's feeding him that information directly and she has that access to him, that does tip the scales. 
And I'm not so sure I would be so comfortable just being super chill talking about that in an interview with a journalist. I might just not be like so proud of that. Laura, I don't know what you think, but I just, I mean, I know it happens. It's just what fucking happens. I'm, I'm going to say, what I'm going to say is that legal communities are smaller than you realize because a lot of people start in the same area. They go on to private practice, DA's office, defense practice, whatever they're doing. But there is a lot of camaraderie in those communities of people that do know each other over decades. So, yeah, I think it was it came across as, like you said, very cavalier in the way that she mentioned it. But I think that that happens a lot in the legal world in that people know each other. People have worked together. Now they're on opposite sides. Like I can think of people that I know that I've worked with on the defense side. Now they're on the prosecution side. Now they're in a different, like, so there is definitely that relationship building that happens over a period of time in a certain area in the legal community where they do all know each other. Sure. So yeah, it seems inappropriate in this He's case. an elected official though, Laura. He's not just a- He is, he is an elected <laughs> official. No, I'm just saying what and I'm who saying is- benefiting in this case is the question. Yeah, and, and I'll say she's, she's good at her job and we can listen to this and we can feel just horror and we can be pissed off and we can be fired up that she is catering her practice to these sort of clients. But at the same time, despite the allegations, everybody is entitled to a defense and a vigorous defense. And that guy got a vigorous defense because he had the means to pay for the top attorney. Not everybody has the means to pay for the top he attorney. He didn't either. It was Columbia. He didn't, yeah. he didn't, he didn't, he didn't pay didn't, for yeah. it. Yeah. Columbia so, did. But Laura, 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 this is the thing, though. It's a small community, obviously. Uh, well, I mean, maybe Manhattan's actually a big community, but uh, okay, there are people in certain circles. She knew exactly what she was doing when she had that conversation. Oh, no. She knew and what, I don't know yeah. who Brian, he shouldn't have that conversation with her. So he should not so have had that conversation with her. Whoever brought that up in the first place should have known better. If he's just saying, what are you working on? It shouldn't be something in front of his office. He sh- there should be something about a civil case or something like that. But that never should have come up. And they both knew better. Yeah. But she got the thing that she got what she wanted. Isn't it right? weird that she's like talking thought, about it so casually? He might have thought, oh shit, I stepped into it. But she knew exactly what she was. I'm getting my chance t- to spin him on this. And so, arr, my rage walk. I totally agree with you on that, Kevin. I guess what I'm saying is that these sort of conversations, I think, happen more than you realize. But who do they yeah. benefit more? They yeah. always benefit. Yeah. They, they never benefit the people that they should benefit. They always benefit the people with all the advantages. There's nothing wrong with being friends with colleagues and stuff like that, but particularly in the legal profession where there are you know, ethical standards and all that stuff, that conversation never should have happened. And she, it's something that she would just like talk about it because it's almost like, it's almost like she's bragging about it. She is. It's almost like she's bragging about she's it. She said she I wanted to fucking that. kill the prosecutor. No, but bragging about like, I went up to Cy Vance and I went, eh. Yeah. I mean, isn't that sort of Cy Vance's reputation? Yes. I yeah. mean, <laughs> is that he's knows everybody and everybody can kind of try and influence him and, and he's... That's kind of the way he works. Yes. Um, she gave him a two hundred fifty dollar donation. <laughs> again, like Isabel Kirchner, I mean, she's obviously good. And for Columbia, 
like you've got a freaking reputation, right? I mean, is that who you want to have being the face of this, your face of this trial? Like that to me, it's sort of like, look at the company you're keeping, right? Like not, not her in particular, but her clients. Definitely. Like, are you throwing yourself in with freaking Harvey Weinstein Yeah, in New York city on a sort of me too type of case? Like you gotta be kidding me. That's, that's nuts. Yeah. I, I want to just follow up real quick on like you guys, like the plea bargain part of this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because when you hear plea bargain, you're all like, oh my God, they took a plea bargain. They didn't take the case to trial. It's pretty common. It's actually required for prosecutors to put out a plea offer to resolve cases before trial. However, in this case, where you had all of these women with very consistent reports of what happened and women that were willing to go the distance to see this case resolved, this is not the type of case that you would typically see resolved in a plea bargain. You see cases resolved in plea bargain where you might have like an underage victim that you don't want to put on the witness stand and re-traumatize. And so you have a plea bargain that you know, some sort of penalty, maybe not the top penalty, but at least something so that you can spare that person going through. But in this case, where you had what would from the outside appear to be a pretty strong case, this does not appear to be the type of case that you would typically see resolved with a plea bargain, if that makes sense. Yeah, but Laura, it's not the fact that, you know, it was worthy of not giving up, like going to trial. Certainly, I can see that, you know, the calculation might be, oh, they keep throwing all this stuff at us and like it would be easier. The problem with that plea bargain is that what it, it was no community service. It was no time. It was it was a, it was a fucking sweetheart. It deal. was give up your license, mister. You're never going to get a job anyway after this. Right. It's like it was absolutely amazing that that's what they agreed to. You know? Yeah. No, I, I, that's, yeah, I forgot. That. I, I guess what I'm saying is that when you look at the context of like, you had these witnesses oh, yeah. and these victims lined up ready to go, this is not the typical case where they'd be like, oh, we're not going to trial because yeah. like people don't want to testify. I guess that's what I was getting at. And no, they made the case that it was going to be difficult because of the, the attorneys. Yeah. yeah. And in this case, you know, so in, in some cases you're like, oh, well, we don't want to put this person on the stand because like, ooh, they've got credibility issues. But in this case, you had so many victims willing to go forward, I guess is what I was getting at, Kevin. And, yeah. and then you got this like, and then they have the, the plea and like oh, one's a felony and one's a misdemeanor. And so only the people whose charges were picked by him are the people that get to actually yes. have a victim impact statement. It was never the statement. strength of the case because yes. the, str- the case was super strong. The problem was that, as Toby always says, if you've got money, it's a different justice system for you. And ironically, the fact that more victims kept coming forward made it what, more difficult. Made it yeah. more fucking difficult to prosecute him, which makes me wild. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis, 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. 
Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Exposed? Cover up at Columbia University. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this podcast? Yeah, I'm going to go with the thumbs up on this podcast. I think that this was very well reported. We had voices of people who were directly impacted by this cover-up, victims in this case. We had very solid reporting. We also had input from the defense team in this, which we sometimes don't get because they're often reluctant to talk to the media. But I think it's another podcast in the vein that we've listened to of the retrievals or things we've done with like Cosby, Epstein, Weinstein, rich men um, who are finally being called to account for their behavior. And um, I've only listened to episode four, but um, so far uh, this uh, extremely well done and definite uh, rage walking material. Tell me about what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for exposed cover up at Columbia University? Yeah, I'll give this a thumbs up. Um, I, you know, I echo what Laura was saying about um, it has uh, the right sources. Uh, the story is, is very interesting. It's got a couple of little twists and turns. It's got some big personalities. I, I, th- I feel like and this is kind of hard to quantify. Uh, it, it came off as being kind of bland. I kind of felt like like it wasn't a very distinct sound or feel to the podcast. I mean, it just sounded like sort of a here are the facts uh, type of thing without having that kind of feel of like, you know, a newspaper podcast that we get sometimes. It's kind of a, I, maybe it's not a big criticism, but I think a little bit of time spent on how is this going to sound? Uh, how can we make this kind of distinctive would have been helpful, but the, you know, the reporting's there. I mean, there's, there's not many voices that you would want to have talk about this. I mean, there's a couple, but you weren't going to get them anyway. Uh, so they've got, they've got great sourcing and the story's good. Yeah. So it's, it's a thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm going thumbs up. We didn't even talk about uh, Laura Beale, who's, you know, from Dr. Death and all these. This is like perfectly up her alley. I can't imagine anybody else reporting this. I feel like if somebody else pitched this, they'd say, yeah, we're going to give this to Laura Beale. Um, it's good. I think both Laura and Toby are correct. I, I think that it did move a, a little fast. For me, I felt like this was one where you could kind of open the space up a bit. And I also personally had some problem keeping track of which of the victims we're listening to, that's sort of a deficiency of a non-visual medium. It's hard to just, you know, sometimes judging by their voices, which person was which. In this particular case, I I had a problem with that. However, those are quibbles. I thought that this was, um, you know, really well put together. It brought to light uh, a bunch of issues that have, you know, go beyond this particular case. It has to do with influence. It has to do with the fact that if you have money, 
if you have a $2 billion or $5 billion endowment, is that what they said? If you have all the money in the world, you can push the legal system to the limit. And not just in civil court, we see this in criminal court and the news, and it's just delay, 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 and it's a war of attrition, and no one gets their proper comeuppance in a case like that. But I think, um, you know, when we get to the end of uh, episode six, we will uh, see that that's that hopefully there's a, a happy ending here. Okay, so I'm going to go uh, thumbs up for this uh, podcast. I'm going thumbs up as well. I share some of your minor criticisms, all of you. Toby, I agree with you. This podcast, for lack of a better word, could have more style, um, both in the writing and the production of it. I mean, I do think it's hard to not compare it to the retrievals. And, you know, the retrievals had extremely strong writing and extremely strong production style with, you know, soundtrack scoring, um, space breathing. And I, I just think that's, that's, that's not, has nothing to do with the host and nothing to do with reporting. That's just the production house. And that's just the, the machine that made it. And I just think that, you know, it's just something to think about when you're making something like this, especially about a story that is so heavy, producing it in a way that makes it not stylized, you know, making it distinctive in some way really helps it be a little bit more memorable because there are there are big swaths of this that weren't memorable to me. And I'll just echo what you said, Kevin. Um, podcasts really need to do a better job generally of signposting things like names. I know that it seems repetitive and dumb maybe on paper, but there's far too many podcasts that I've listened to. And this is a, a good example of it where I'm like, oh, it's the it's a letter in the basement lady. It's the lady who's a dancer. Um, the only person whose name I remember in, in this is a woman whose name is revealed because she's connected to a famous person. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 it sounds dumb that I should have to maybe take notes. I think editors become blind to that because they're so close to the, they I, don't realize. I do. Yeah. And I, and I think that, I think that when you're reporting something like this, it's almost like, well, I said it in graph three and now I'm graph 10. So like the reader could just go up and see it again. No, that's not how audio works. And it's okay to really drive home to the listener. Here's who you're hearing again. And here's why. And here's how you remember them. And if you listen to the podcast made by like people from Serial, like they're masterful at that. Like, you know, the people's names when you finish the story. And, you know, there's just that kind of signposting stuff missing from this. And that's that those are sort of my, my minor complaints about this. But it's generally a thumbs up for me. I think the reporting is really strong. I love the ProPublica part of this. I love that it shows. And I do think that Laura Beale and that partnership was the good one to put together for this story. So yeah, thumbs up for me for this podcast. I'm, I really enjoyed it quite a bit. And I think it's a really strong piece of reporting. All right. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast. A little something I like to call the crime, crime of the week. Of the week. <laughs> a Miami-Dade man is in trouble with City Hall because of his backyard swing. Because that swing is actually a trapeze. Miguel Quintero has erected a circus-sized trapeze rig on his property and has been giving lessons on how to fly through the air with the greatest of ease. But city officials have issued citations against Quintero for things like failing to get building permits or for operating a home business. But the government seems to be neutral on doing a straddle whip or reverse knee hang in a residential area. The former aerial artist is suing the city saying they violated Florida law against using satellite imagery to spot his trapeze, as if neighbors couldn't see amateurs doing the uprise shoot or the bird's nest 30 feet above the roof line. He's also begun a long-shot campaign for mayor. Quintero may be a great teacher, but we have some concerns. 
especially after learning the platform, wires, and safety net are not permanent structures and can be taken apart in less than an hour and jammed into his truck. So panel, more circus stars should have a side hustle teaching their skills, maybe? So Laura Bricker, what circus act would you like to learn? Well, you know, first I was going to say one and then I realized that is no longer an appropriate act to include. Um, the big cat acts are no longer. No, nope. Um, nope. no. So we're not going to say that. No, so Siegfried I, and Roy, they are not. No, I am going to go with knife throwing or sword swallowing. And I would like to add this to the repertoire of recent skills I'm acquiring, like lassoing. So pretty much I can be like a ninja now. I can lasso, I can sword throw, I can hide my sword by swallowing it. I mean, I think there's a lot of possibilities there. What do you think, Toby Ball? What circus act would you like to learn? None of them. <laughs> I don't want to do any of those acts. <laughs> Kevin Flynn, what about you? What circus act would you like to learn? I want to get 19 of my friends into that little car. Oh, really? Yeah, but I need 16 friends for it. <laughs> All right. Well, for me, I think it's, um, it's, you know what it's not? I know what it's not. Sword swallowing. <laughs> 100%. It is not sword swallowing. I know. Yes, you do know. I'm going to leave it there. All right, Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you on social media to ask you follow-up questions about the circus act, you would like to learn how can they find you there uh, they can find me at Laura Bricker and last week I lassoed a step stool nice mm. Toy Ball folks want to reach out to you and pitch you on maybe being that guy who rides the motorcycle inside that little ball how can they find you on social media at Toby Ball and H Kevin Flynn, how can you be found? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. If you want to find me anywhere on social media, including Instagram, where you can see a lot of pictures of my dogs, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show everywhere at Crime Writers On, or apparently you can even stream us on YouTube. And I encourage you to join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular Facebook page. Go there, hit join the group. You will not regret it. Our group is rad. Get episodes early and ad-free at Patreon patreon.com slash partners in crime media you'll also get the crime writers on after show married with podcast laura bricker's leave it to bricker podcast and toby ball's deep dive book club podcasts our theme song was composed and performed by ty gibbons our line editor is the wonderful livy burdett the executive producer of this show is kevin flynn this show was recorded in the treehouse yoga studio above the mockingbird cafe in bay st louis mississippi studio otherwise known as studio c the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we also keep boxes and boxes filled with every piece of paper we've ever written on. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Can, can you guys tell I'm deep in the defense mindset again? Yeah. <laughs> totally fine. That's good. You're not wrong. Yeah. Except I'm that, in the psychosis. No, I... I except uh, that woman yeah. is a traitor to women everywhere. Yeah, no. Um, I bet but got, she made a money. I bet she's got a hell of money, yeah. <laughs> I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. 
Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix.